0: Welcome to November. We are well into the fall, and a couple of fun things from October is uh, two things that come to mind. Uh, first of all, October is this weird thing in North America that we call Pastor Appreciation Month. And uh, I say it's weird because, you know, we, it, church is mutual appreciation society, right? We love each other in the body of Christ, and But there's this this focus in October where a lot of times people in North America will will write cards and expressions of appreciation and gifts. Our staff has just been overwhelmed. So thank you to all of you. We love being here. We love serving Jesus together with you. The second thing about November, though, is we had this series about praying powerful prayers that are Scripture-fed and Spirit-fed. Led, And we finished up the series last week mentioning this truth, that one of the things that can be difficult about prayer in our lives is that it is very difficult for people to pray to a God they know little about. And so we said this month, we're going to follow up the prayer series with a, a series that you could almost call a theology series on the nature of God. Who is God? What is he like? And so to get started today, I want to just ask a really big question to dive in today. And and the question is, I want you to fill in the blank. I want you to think for just a moment. If you had to pick just one word to describe God, what would it be? And so I'm going to give you a minute just to think about it that if you had to complete this statement, what would you say? God is blank. Now, that's a hard challenge, isn't it? Because there are so many words in the Bible that describe God. And if you've been around here for any amount of time at this church, I bet I know what many of us would say, that what we would say around here very often, is, is that God is love. Love is the essence of God. I wonder how many of you thought that. That was probably the answer for a lot of people around the room, including myself. And that's true because First John chapter 4, verse 8 says, Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. There it is. It's true. The Bible says so. And yet, I'm going to upset the apple cart today and, 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 and challenge our thinking with, with, with a, a challenge to this idea, not that God is not love, but that maybe there is a better word if we had to pick just one. And the reason that I say that is, is, is because I think sometimes in our world today that we have confused and misunderstood the meaning of the word love. For example, have you ever heard anyone say anything like this? People say, I don't understand how a loving God could send people to hell simply for not choosing him. Why doesn't he just save everybody no matter what? Would that not be more loving. But I wonder if our idea of love sometimes gets off track when we fail to understand something that is even more important in understanding the nature of God and that is his holiness. And so that's the word we're going to look at today. What does it mean when we say God is Holy. That that if we chose this one word to describe the essence of God, it would be holy. And you say, Joel, that's an awful big claim. How how can you say that? And my response is, well, don't just take my word for it. How, How about the angels? You would think that the angels would know better than anybody. The angels who have seen God personally, who have spent eternity with Him before the creation of the world, if anybody would know what God is, like it would be the angels, right? And for example, look at Isaiah chapter 6. And what we're about to read is a scene where there is a worship service that has been going on in heaven for thousands and thousands of years. And the prophet Isaiah has this vision of the throne room of God with the angels surrounding the throne. And here's what he says. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs. These are a type of angel, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Guess what? The apostle John in the New Testament saw the the same vision, the throne room in heaven with angels surrounding the throne of God. And Revelation chapter four, verse eight says, it says, day and night, John says, they never stop saying, Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And so both Isaiah and John have this vision of the the throne room with the angels surrounding. And what do they say? These beings who have been with God since the beginning of time, what word do they choose? They're not saying love 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 is the lord god almighty they're not saying mercy 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 is the lord god almighty they're not saying power power powerful is the lord god almighty even though all of those things are true of god but what we find in the bible is whenever anyone comes face-to-face in the presence of God, that immediately they fall on their knees and cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Because whatever the holiness of God is, apparently it so overwhelms every other characteristic about God that it's all the angels can speak about day and night, night and day for all of eternity. And it's, it's throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Le- Leviticus 19 verse 2 says, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 15, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy, says the Lord. Leviticus 22:32. Do not profane my holy name. I must be acknowledged as holy by the Israelites. Exodus 15:11. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory. And we're going to talk about that word next week, glorious. Working in wonders. First Samuel chapter 2, verse 2. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. So let's talk about it for a minute. What does this word holy mean? And when you begin to explore it, you find that there is a a, a challenge, there's a problem when it comes to defining the word holy. Because when you look in the dictionary, it basically says something like this, holy is something that pertains to God. (laughs) The, The dictionary generally says, holy is something that is like God. And that doesn't help us very much, does it? I mean, that's kind of circular. What is God? God is holy. What is holy? Like God. What is God? God is holy. What is holy? Like God. We're not getting anywhere. And the the challenge with understanding the definition of the word holy is because God himself is the very definition of the word. But just to to help us uh, get started today, here's a working definition. Holy means pure and perfect, and it also means separate and distinct, pure and perfect, and separate and distinct. John Piper writes that God's holiness determines all that he is and all that he does. You can call it his majesty, his divinity, his greatness, but in the end, language runs out. In the word "holy," we have sailed to the world's end, in the utter silence of reverence and wonder and awe. Some years ago, I had the the, the honor and privilege of meeting one of my musical heroes. He, he's world-famous guitar player, Doyle Dykes. Now, if, if you're not an acoustic guitar fan, then, then uh, that might, name might not mean anything to you. But those who, who know, know that he is uh, unbelievable. He, 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 he can, on the acoustic guitar or electric or anything, but he can, he can play like, he's playing all six strings with all, it's almost like he's got six fingers down here going on. I don't know how he does it, but all, all five stringers and all six strings, he's doing like harmonies and counter melodies and, and melody lines and bass lines all at the same time, like a whole band just right here by himself. And, and, uh, and so I had the opportunity to meet him and sit down and, and watch him play right up close. And it was an amazing but also a very humbling experience because... Uh, those of you who know me, you, you know, I, I, I play a lot of different instruments, and, and, and I used to be a guitar player that I don't play much anymore these days, but but I used to play a lot. I toured and played in bands, and, and I'd love doing electric guitar solos because I know how to do the face. You know, you can't do a solo without a face, right? You... you... You know, you got to get the face going on in order to play it right. And I'd be playing and, and getting down with my bad self. And I can start to think I'm pretty good until I get in the presence of a master. And all of my guitar playing pride melts into a puddle of goo when I'm around someone like Doyle Dykes. Would you indulge me? to just show you two minutes to give you a sample of what I'm talking about, here he is. Boys. Now, let me tell you what that makes me want to do, throw my guitar in the river. Now, now also, he, he's an amazing Christian man, and uh, don't worry, guys, you, you don't have to turn off the lights, I promise I won't throw my guitar in the river. But, uh, but, but he's an amazing Christian man who plays for the glory of God, uh, but, but what... What it it reminds me is of how often on my own I can sit around and compare to other people who are not as good as me and say, man, I'm pretty good. Check me out. Until I get around a master and I remember my place. And the same is true when we come face to face with the holiness of God. And all of a sudden, we realize that our pride is nothing but arrogant foolishness in the presence of a holy and perfect God. And so I'm going to give you a couple of ideas today about how we respond to this. Number one, God's holiness is not to be taken lightly. Now, now, God loves us and cares for us. The Bible says that God wants to be our friend. But listen, at the same time, he is set apart from us. God is not just our little buddy. God is not some cosmic Santa Claus. God is not a spiritual vending machine in the sky that you just put in the right prayers and get out what you want, in the Old Testament, you read about the relationship between God and Moses. Moses had an incredibly close relationship with God. In Exodus thirty-three eleven, it says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friends. So, so it sounds like God and Moses are buddies, right? But it didn't start out that way. Do you you remember how Moses began with God? There was a a bush out in the desert, and this bush was on fire. And it's burning and burning, but it is not being consumed by the flames. And so Moses goes over to check it out. And Exodus chapter three, verse four says, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. uh, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. But listen to what happened next. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Why was he afraid? Because when you see the holiness of God, it is an overwhelming, a a humbling, even a terrifying experience. And so we should, number two, gain a healthy respect for the dangerousness of God, Now, that's not an idea that you hear very often, is it, that God is dangerous? But if you would, for just a minute, I want you to close your eyes. Everybody here in the room and those of you who are online, wherever you are right now, would you just close your eyes? And I want to read a passage of Scripture to you. And I want you to, to use your imagination and picture the scene of the throne room in heaven. Revelation 1 verse 13 says, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were like white wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all of its brilliance. And listen to the response. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. John was so terrified that he fell down as though he were dead. Okay, now, you can open your eyes, and let's talk about this for a minute. Notice something interesting that that John who wrote this is is the very person that the Bible says was kind of like Jesus' best friend. And yet, friendship with God does not diminish the holiness of God. Number three, our impurities and shortcomings make us unworthy of God. Remember how we read earlier from Isaiah chapter 6, that first passage that we read? I'd love to go back to that again, uh, back to Isaiah. We're in both Isaiah and Revelation, these two pictures of the throne room in heaven. And in Isaiah 6, we read earlier uh, about how Isaiah saw the angels in the throne room, and they are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty And then when you keep reading, look at what happens next. When he saw this, verse 5, Isaiah says, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the glory of the king the Lord Almighty my eyes have seen the king the Lord Almighty I am unclean I live among unclean people he says when when we get a picture of who God really is when we finally get a glimpse of the glory of his Holiness. It is a humbling experience, even humiliating. We become painfully aware of our sin and depravity and how far we fall short of his perfection and how for us even to enter his presence could never be allowed. But then comes the good news. Are you ready for some good news today? Let's get some good news today. The good news is that God's holiness is actually the source of what true love really is. What is true love? Listen, get this. God is holy, not in spite of his holiness, or or is love, not in spite of his holiness. In other words, let me say it like this. It's, it's not that God is holy and, oh, yeah, but, but he's also loving, as if somehow those contradict each other. No, 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 no. God's love is actually because he is holy. God is love because of his holiness, Look at what Isaiah says in chapter 15, or 57, verse 15. Would you read this with me uh, here in the room, maybe online? If you could go ahead and if you're sitting together as a family, let's read it out loud together. Isaiah 57, verse 15 says, This is what the hot. Oh, oh, oh. I know we're out of practice. Everybody's. This is one of the reasons, by the way, that I love, even though it's no fun, the government telling us we have to wear masks inside, I love doing it because it means I can sing my face off for the glory of God. I don't have to be quiet. I can read his word with confidence and boldness. Let's not take it for granted. Come on, let's read this word from Isaiah 57, verse 15. Here we go together. Isaiah says, "'This is what the high and lofty one says, "'he who lives forever, whose name is holy.'" I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. You see, this is the good news. When Isaiah enters the throne room and the angels are there and he's overwhelmed by the holiness of God and he falls on his face and he cries out, woe to me, I am ruined, I am unclean, I am unworthy. And yet what happened next is the good news. Isaiah 6 verse six continues. And then one of the seraphs, Flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, Lord, send me. See, when Isaiah fell on his knees in the presence of a perfect and holy God, when he confessed his sinfulness, God reached down and touched him and forgave him and washed him clean. In fact, the same thing happens to John in Revelation chapter 1. Remember verse 17, John said, When I saw the Lord, he said, I fell down as though I were dead. But look at what happens next. John says, But then he reached out and he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid, for I am the first and the last, the living one. You see, the holiness of God will always drive us to our knees as we fall on our face before God. But the good news is, when we confess our sin, when we fall down before Him, that is when He reaches down and He picks us up again. So I, I love this. Check this out. Here's how it works Holy is what He is. Love is what He does. And grace is what brings them together. Holy is what He is. Love is what He does. And grace is what brings them together. See, because of the holiness of God, we should never be able to enter His presence. We who are unclean. Our sin separates us from him. But John 16, John 3:16, John 3:16 says that this holy God so loved. This holy God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will never perish but will have eternal life and folks that is called grace (laughs) grace is why Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross to take the punishment for our sins the punishment that we deserved it's only because of his grace his grace is our only hope so that now When we stand before the presence of this holy trinity, the Godhead, three in one, we who are unworthy, we who deserve nothing, receive everything because of Jesus because of Jesus Christ who died on the cross and three days later he rose again with victory over sin and death. And because of Jesus, forgiveness is granted and hope is restored and new life is offered to all who receive. The door swings open to anyone who will believe and now you can enter. Now you can enter. Now you can enter this most holy place. This place that you would never be able to go into otherwise if not for the manifest presence of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And listen, that is the story of the Bible. Amen? That is what it's all about. That is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For, for Isaiah and, and for John we saw the throne room, each of them, and for anyone who enters into relationship with a holy God. It starts with a recognition of who He is It starts with confession. It starts with an uncomfortable awareness of our depravity and sin. His marvelous grace, His amazing grace, His forgiving grace that's made possible through Jesus who died on the cross to take the punishment that you and I deserve. And so as we sing these words just a few minutes, I'm going to come back and, and, and provide an opportunity for anyone who maybe today is the day you feel like God is speaking your name and you're ready to surrender. You, you want to be washed clean. You, you want what we're talking about here today, which is not about our goodness, but about His grace and goodness. If today, you've had a picture of God that maybe drives you to your knees. We're going to pray together in just a few minutes, but first I wonder if we could worship and enter into the throne room as we picture what Isaiah and John saw with the angels surrounding the throne, wings flapping. Radiant brillness of the Lord as the train of his robe fills the temple with glory. And could we join with these angels who, for thousands and thousands of years, have been declaring this truth?